That is such a fitting and appropriate song as we look at our subject this morning. Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 13. We deal with this idea that Jesus Christ is the only thing that does not move. And that's what we have got to. We have got to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in. So far in our series, we've been talking about the fact that God is just at work doing absolutely amazing things. We've talked last couple weeks about angels arriving in dark jail cells and bright lights and doors open and chains fall off. Miracles have been done over and over again. We've seen that. We've seen God's hand at work. And yet today, as we get into this text, let me tell you, this is where life begins to get tough. The mud gets deep and sticky. Um, it can be hard. I love kids. It's been great. I, I would agree with Matt that there's just been a lot of motion and movement and activity. And I have to quote one of our four-year-old theologians that were with us this past week. As a matter of fact, he's right here. I don't want to embarrass him, but Johnny Newman, he is a man after God's own heart. His parents were relaying a story just recently where Johnny woke up in the morning and he asked his mom and dad this question. He said, Mom and Dad, he's got kind of that, dark, that, 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 that deep voice. He says, why? Why is life so hard? He's four. He said, I'm just so tired. I do the same thing every day. Get up, go to bed. Get up, go to bed. You know, I, I think that, you know, honestly, Johnny's not the only one who feels like that. It can be difficult for all of us. And that's why we have moments like this to come together in God's house alongside of one another to say, you know what, the mud may get deep, the winds may blow and the waves may surge, but we need reminders from Scripture. We've got to stay put. We've got to be strong. I was reading portions of these two twin boys who wrote a book. You perhaps have heard of, of Alex and, and Brett Harris, and they wrote a book called Do Hard Things. They were young, 19, 20-year-old kids when they write this book. That's it. We need that. This morning, as a matter of fact, I was brushing my teeth thinking about do hard things. And literally, as I was, something so simple, and I moved a certain way, my back was like, oh! Brushing my teeth. It's hard out there. And God just continually reminds us that this, we, we just, we do not have what is necessary in order to move forward. And so that's why we come to the text that we have today. It reminds us, although it's tough, there is God, there is Christ, the solid rock to build upon. Let's bow our heads and ask for God's help before we read our text and we'll just pray as a family together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence this morning as your sons and daughters. And perhaps, Lord, even this morning in this very room, there may be some who do not know you, cannot call you Daddy because they do not have a relationship with you, have not accepted and received the gift, the gift of salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to those hearts. I pray, Lord, as we are reminded of everyday life, that it can be challenging at times. And we don't have it. We, we do not have what is necessary to succeed without you. 
Father, I pray for this community that is in the grip in many respects of, of darkness and destruction and devastation and divorce and disease. God, I would ask that we would, would bring a saltiness to this community and a brightness through the Lord Jesus Christ that through the transforming gospel of Jesus we would see lives changed and your church grow and your name glorified. I pray for men who are preaching the gospel in this community that you would give them resilience and strength. Bless their wives and their families. I pray, Lord, for this body here. I pray for our leadership, our elders. I thank you so much for each one of those men. I thank you, Lord, for this past week that we just lift your name and praise your name for how you worked through so many, through Yvonne's leadership and sacrifice, and for those many, many young ones that learned of your name and of your greatness, of your love and of your stability. God, be with me today. I have nothing, nothing in and of myself to offer, and so I beg you to speak through me as you see fit. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. I get a little confused. I get a little blurred. I think it's number three. I think it's number three on my top ten all-time favorite movies. It's that movie that perhaps you've seen before about the 13th century freedom fighter from the highlands of Scotland. His name is William Wallace. It was depicted in the 1995 movie Braveheart. What a... What a man of boldness and bravery he was. I thought about you and I today, how we, in light of the challenges that we face, inevitably, we too need to be brave-hearted. We celebrate our own nation's birthday this past, this coming week. I thought about some of the men that we have in our own history books who were brave-hearted. George Washington, who stood with his men at Valley Forge for that winter. We think of men like Stonewall Jackson or Douglas MacArthur or Dwight Eisenhower, Omar Bradley. We have these heroes, these men who are bold and who are brave. I think that's a perfect example of what we need to be as we as a church remain on mission. We, we aspire to be individuals who don't hurt themselves when they're brushing their teeth in the morning. We aspire to be individuals that are rugged and durable, individuals that are devoted. We are the people of God, and most importantly, we have the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work through us. As we've been examining the early chapters of the early church, our own brothers and sisters in Christ, our own heritage, we've learned that what they serve and they give and they, they, they love and they care in ways that we just need to, we need to learn from them today. Our text is a, a lengthy one. It begins in verse 13 of Acts chapter 13. I want to try to get all the way to verse 43. And I may read excerpts of that just for sake of time this morning. But we'll get the basic story. Follow along as I read Acts chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 13. Here it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Say that three times quickly. 
Paul from Paphos to Pergen, Pamphylia. And John, this is John, surnamed Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Isn't that true? And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he took them, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophets. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as promised. Skip down with me to verse 28, speaking of the ministry of Jesus. And they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, and asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they carried out all this that was written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a tomb. But God raised Him from the dead. Down to verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, Paul is preaching, that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And they went out. The people begged. They begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Well, there is a lot. There is a lot in this text. And as I read this again this morning, I am reminded of how blessed we are. The fact that we worship and serve a sovereign God. Look at all that God has done through the history lesson that we have before us this morning. Acts 13 serves as a narrative that brings the vision into focus by showing us first and foremost we need to be brave-hearted. Why? Understand this. This is going to be hard to hear. We need to be brave-hearted because there will be the defection of some. Look to your left and to your right. Because as we examine the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when push comes to shove, sadly many people will bolt. 
In this particular case, early on, early in his life, we see this one John Mark, John surnamed Mark. If you recall, back to where they were praying in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, Mary is the mother of John Mark. Okay, big house, probably a wealthy young man. John Mark, somehow early on in the ministry of, from Jerusalem as it was expanding, attaches himself to this missionary endeavor. And initially, with the buzz and the excitement, he does what a lot of us do. Oh, 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 pick me. Pick me. Remember John Fogarty's song? Some of you will perhaps be dated by this. Put me in coach. I'm ready to play. Look at me. I can be. Rich knows it. Centerfield. Okay? I just so desperately want to sing that this morning, but I can't. Just can't. You just can't read those lyrics. Got to sing it. Put me in. Come on. And there's this idea that John Mark says, oh, 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 please pick me. Pick me. We don't know exactly what his responsibilities were. He probably was, the word translates in under oarsman. He probably was someone who helps out. He carried things. Perhaps he set things up when they were going someplace or he broke things down. He was a general helper, a gopher, so to speak. Hey, someone, could you get that for me? Could you run an errand? That was probably John Mark. I thought it was interesting by way of the terminology or the, 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 the verbiage in some translations here. The, the New King James is a little bit more kind to John Mark. The New King James Version actually shows a little bit of deference when it explains departing from them as if he has to go somewhere else. Departing from them. As we read this morning, I read in the ESV, and also you'll see even in the, the NIV, there's the truth. It says this, He left them. He left them. We're together. Right, guys? As we're moving forward... And he left them. You ever been left before? Oh my goodness gracious, the, the list, the, the list is long. Come on, let's go, we're all going here. And we realize that as you turn around, I thought you said you were going to be here at 10 o'clock. Where'd you go? It's what happens right here. And we're, we are not told, we are not told. There's been great debates. Okay, as far as the specifics, why he left. Was there some kind of tension? Was it a personality issue? Can you actually imagine the local church of Jesus Christ experiencing personality conflicts? Maybe that was it. Paul is strong. Paul is a leader. Barnabas, perhaps the quiet comforter and the encourager. And we know that somehow there's some kind of friction. Something happens. We don't know what it was. Was it homesickness? Was it blisters? Was it the simple fact that I've got a little bit of a travel belly that's arriving here and I miss mommy? And he says he goes back to Jerusalem. Whatever the reason, we don't know the reason. We know the bottom line is what? John Marks, John Mark packs his bag and he goes home. I'm going to pause on that and think for a moment. How sadly 
It is. There are Christians that abandon their post. The mission field is littered with people who, who initially were like, oh, 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 please, can I go? And what? After it gets difficult, they simply give up, walk away, go home. Why? It's difficult out there. You have to realize that. Spiritually, it's exhausting. Emotionally, it's taxing. Um, physically, it's demanding. And we see that's the situation. I think as well, if we begin to examine our own culture, we can pause for a moment and also see what we have today. We have today an addiction to ease and comfort. I think particularly, sadly, of the younger generation. It's a stretch for kids to be playing outside today. And we have this idea that what? Whether or not it was just, I miss what is comfortable to me. John Mark serves as an analogy for the way that many of us actually enter or approach what it means to worship and to serve and to minister to others. There's no doubt that if you begin to ask yourself the question, making disciples, which is our clear mandate, is really exhausting. It's hard to do. A lot of, of you perhaps have said, I'd be willing to do that, and yet we've not really followed through with the individual who, need, who needs someone to come alongside of them. Making disciples is hard. Teaching Sunday school, leading VBS, that is really, really exhausting. Outreach and evangelism. Looking for opportunities as you maneuver your way throughout the community on a daily basis to share with them the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just hard to do. Bible reading every single day. Dad's leading your families in, in prayer, initiating prayer. What do we do, Dad? I don't know. But let's pray about this together as a family. Let's look to see what God's Word has for us together. This is where we're going to go. Doing that faithfully day in and day out. Teaching. Is exhausting. But that's what we're called to do. Even though we live in a world that says you deserve a break today. You deserve it easy. Larry Crabb writes this. He writes with great insight, sadly, about our desire to be comfortable today. Listen to what he says, and I quote, As a culture... Present-day Christianity has redefined spiritual maturity. The Reformers knew we were saved to glorify God. We moderns live to be blessed. The mature among us are now thought to be the successful, the happy, the effective people on top of things and doing well. We are more attracted to sermons and books and conferences that reveal the secrets to fulfillment than to spiritual direction that leads us through affliction into the presence of the Father. We seem more interested in managing life into comfortable existence than in letting God transform us through life's hardships. Do you realize this? When the mountains seem very, very steep, literally that's the case, we'll see in a minute, where they were. Like I said earlier, when those winds begin to blow and those waves surge, when the mud gets deep, 
God may actually be using those difficult circumstances to what? To chisel and to chip you away to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to have the strength in Him and not us to take the very next step. Hardship is something today that we do anything to avoid. And God actually allows sickness, disease, conflict, exhaustion. God uses those things to transform us. It's okay when the road gets bumpy. Why? We're told throughout God's Word it's going to be bumpy. So we begin to ask, I don't know where you're at personally, but have you ever ever deserted someone when you said that you'd be there? Ever start a project with great enthusiasm? Oh, oh, and not finished it? Have you ever got just exhausted or frustrated and say, this is just too hard for me and just kind of given up? By God's grace... His grace is sufficient for you in that moment. His mercies are new every day. This is the day the Lord has made by God's grace. Stay put. Be strong. Be brave-hearted. We need that. Why is this so important? Why do we need to be brave-hearted? How are we to be brave-hearted? We look at the second point and, and we rejoice in this. Why? Because we see throughout all history the determination of God. We see the determination of God. Here it is. After getting off of a ship in Perga. Perga is a very economically poor, it's an impoverished Roman province. They still have, who's left? Paul Barnabas, his companions, whoever is there. They still have a hundred mile hike up in elevation of more than 38, 3600 feet to Antioch in Pisidia. This is the different Antioch. This is the smaller Antioch than where they began their journey. And as they get there, they make their way to the synagogue. Jewish men are allowed to go into the synagogue to teach and to read and explain the scriptures. And they do that. We know that this journey had to be exhausting. It had to be grueling in some way. Paul actually offers some some biographical insight to this later on in the book of Galatians. This is in the whole region of Galatia is where they're at. It's interesting to read in Galatians in chapter 4 in verse 13 that, that Paul actually pens as far as how he's feeling And he says this, you know that because of bodily ailments, some translations use the term physical infirmity. You know, because of my body hurting, I preach the gospel to you at first. Galatians in chapter 4, in verse 13, first missionary journey, one of the first places that Paul goes, and this, in this particular context, is a biblical, historical message that is the first recorded message of Paul preaching. He said, because I'm not doing well. We don't really know, again, the specifics. Some, some experts would say that, that perhaps it was some eye issues or eye problems. Others would simply say that because of the particular 
um, uh, uh, existence in that time that malaria was something that Paul could have been battling. Some would say that he even even struggled with epilepsy. This may have been the, the thorn in his side that he asked to have God remove and, and God left at it. We don't know what it was. All we know that Paul himself admits, I'm not 100% here. I'm going to keep on going. As he gets to the synagogue, he begins to preach. What he does here, it's kind of a, a springboard approach that, that launches us into an understanding of how God deals with Israel. And he uses this little bit of a, a narrative, this context, to go directly to Christ. What I call, he makes a beeline to the gospel. I actually sat again, it depends on which translation you're reading from, but from verse 16 to verse 23. When Paul starts preaching the message, he uses no less than 165 words to deal with all of the history of Israel. What? Before he gets to uh, the offspring of David, Jesus Christ. Yes, he deals with explaining the, the whole history of Israel. And he talks about these major events. But why? He has a purpose. I've got to go one place with you. I want you to hear one message. And that is the message of salvation, of redemption that is offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. The text is saturated with what God is doing in order to bring the message clearly of salvation to these people. I'm going to race through very quickly. You've got to kind of hang on to your hats here as we survey the highlights as far as what, what events Paul is covering to show us that God is the one who is in complete control here. God is sovereign. He is the umbrella over everything. Complete control of the message that we are to offer. Here it is in verse 17. God chose Israel. Okay, sets them apart from everyone else. Verse 17, God made Israel great. He allowed them to grow, even though they were in captivity. Verse 17, he went, God led Israel out of Egypt. Frees them from slavery. In verse 18, God cares for Israel in the wilderness. I love the phrase. It says that he put up with them for 40 years. In verse 19, God caused Israel to be victorious. Over the Canaanite armies. Verse 19, again, God gave the land as an inheritance. Verse 20, God gave them judges. Verse 21, God gave them Saul as king. Verse 22, God removed Saul as king. Verse 22, God raises up David to be the king. Verse 23, God brought forth a savior, Jesus. Verses 24 through 25, God sent out John the Baptist as a herald of Christ. Verse 26, God sends the Apostle Paul with a message. God did this. God is at work here, not the individual people. God is sovereign and moves over everything. His fingerprints are in every detail. Verses 27, all the way down through verse 37, God has a plan of redemption. Through the what? Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Understand, all of this is the active agency of a holy, sovereign God at work and not man. God wrote the play. God directed the play. 
God's stars in the play from beginning until end. And he moves all the way through history, as we see in this brief little narrative, as I read one commentator this week, with premeditated perfection. And it culminates in what? In verse 32, Paul says, We bring you good news. Paul's not feeling great here. Paul has had some of those closest to him abandon him. And he sees what? He sees the fingerprints of God over all the plan. He says, we bring you good news. Now think about your own life for a moment. I think about my own. And we fuss, and we worry, and we complain. This is just so difficult. Johnny, I'm with you. Why is life so hard? It's the same thing every day. Get up, go to bed. What we need to do in moments like this is we step back and we get a glimpse of God at work. And see how he orchestrates through history. It's not a shock that there are some that defect. Because what he, with clear determination, is giving to us a message of hope, and we are to take that message of hope, and we are to share that with others. Now, as I close, I want you to be aware of something. I know that initially I seem pretty hard on John Mark. This is where grace comes in. It was Paul's first missionary journey, and John Mark bolts. Goes home to mommy. I mean, literally, goes home to mommy, back to Jerusalem. Later on in, in, in Paul's second missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul are together. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Let's go and get him now. And Paul says, no. He left me once. I don't want him. It's so strong that Barnabas goes one way and Paul goes another in the second missionary journey. What is interesting is this. I want you to see it for yourself. Second Timothy in chapter 4. This is now at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Fast forward. This is the last chapter that Paul writes in his life before he dies. He's in a prison in Rome, and he knows that his days are ending. And he writes this letter to young Timotheus. He says, I charge you to be faithful. I charge you to be strong. I charge you to preach the word. I want to direct your attention to verse 11 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see what Paul himself in a prison asked for. He says this. Luke alone is with me. He's writing to Timothy. Luke alone is here with me. Get... Mark. This is John Mark. It's the same one. Paul in prison is writing a letter to Timothy. Please get me John Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Wait a minute. What's happening here? John Mark bolts early on. But even though that he did not have the strength or the resilience to continue on, God continued to work in his life. So much so that Paul understands and recognizes the giftedness and the calling of this young man. That in his very last moments, he said, I want 
this young man with me. Somewhere along the journey, John Mark makes a turn and says, I'm going back. It's tough. It's hard. The travel belly arrives once in a while. Whatever it is, I'm going back. And what is wonderful is that we see a man of God who accepts and receives with grace and understanding that God is working in the lives of what? Those who perhaps have cut and run, who have abandoned. We have a wonderful reminder here through these through this narrative that life is difficult. It's going to be hard. Some will give up. But God is determined very clearly to have a message of the gospel that works even through hard times, through all the history of Israel to present day. And yet there is still room, even in our weakness, for forgiveness to be offered and say, come with me because you have a job to do. So wherever you are in your walk, perhaps you've given up, perhaps you are exhausted or frustrated, Understand that just as Paul asked for this one to come back because he has much to offer, so do you. So do you. And so I would encourage you with that. And I would challenge you with the truth truth of the gospel that you can be brought into what fellowship and you have gifts that need to be exercised for God's glory so that everyone hears about the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and burial and resurrection, and that offers redemption. Wow. The mud gets deep, but we're okay. The mud gets deep, but we can be brave hearted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this storyline that you allow us to peer graciously into the lives and even into the hardships of ministry. God, wherever people are this morning, I don't know hearts. I can't measure hearts. I don't judge hearts. You see the hearts. And I would ask right now, I would invite your Holy Spirit to speak specifically to people who are struggling, who are exhausted and frustrated, who ache and hurt. God, encourage them. Help them to be reminded of your sovereign plan. God, I would ask that there are some here who have abandoned the cause that you would give them the strength and resilience to return and to take their place alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ. And may we together be faithful for your glory. Give us the strength to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with us, please, as we close.